Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. If this episode and conversation resonates with you, I would love to have you come to the free workshop I'm hosting on Tuesday, October 11th on how to coach pregnant and postpartum athletes going beyond exercise modifications and generic guidelines. This is open to everyone. So whether you coach people or you just want to be able to better coach yourself through these seasons. Again, it is October 11th at 12 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. And yes, there will be a replay. At the end of the workshop, you will get a coupon for $300 off the Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism Coaching Certification, so you definitely don't want to miss out. Again, it's October 11th at 12 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I'm here with a very special guest, Annie Thor's daughter. You probably know her because she is a big-time, amazing athlete in the CrossFit community. And she's also a mom, and we're really excited to bring her voice and her story to the show today. So Annie, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. How are you doing? You're just coming off of the 2022 CrossFit Games. How are you feeling in your recovery season right now? I'm doing good, actually. I feel great after the Games this year. We didn't get the finish we wanted to get, uh, but physically and mentally, I'm in a pretty good place. and. Had a couple of down weeks, just which is so important after uh, competition season to just like have that downtime with the family, summer vacation with Freya, and just that's my the promise to myself after I compete is that I get to spend as much time as I want to with my kid and let her get sick of me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I got to do. And now we're getting back into a routine actually, which is also really nice. I do love routine and structure. Uh, so now I'm getting back to training because I'm competing end of October again. Okay. What are you doing in October? I'm doing rogue invitationals. So okay. it's a pretty big competition. I'm actually doing as an individual end of October. That's amazing. So you competed in the games this past year on a team and now you're competing as an individual. Tell me the differences like in how you feel as an athlete when you perform on a team versus individual. And like, I just would love insight on that. Well, I've done individual for years now. I've competed at the CrossFit Games over ten, or 10 times as an individual. And I did gymnastics growing up. I never really did like a team sport. Uh, so I was kind of excited. Like I've talked about doing a team for years, but I've never really felt ready for it. Or it's always been like, with whom am I going to do a team with? And then this year I decided I was ready for just something like a little bit different. Um, and I guess I wasn't as stressed about the change as I've been in the previous years. Cause I've always thought if you go team, you're not going back as an individual. Um, 
But I started thinking how silly that is. If I can be pregnant and have a kid and go back as an individual, I sure can go team and go back to individual if I want to. Like, you're not closing any paths. So if I wanted to go team, I'll go team. And I knew it would be such a learning experience for me. And it really was. Like, it's so different going on a team because I'm used to, I have this incredible team around me. Like, Frederick, my partner, has been with me since 2011 at the CrossFit Games. He's been by my side. My coach has been my coach since 2010. The physio or chiropractor that I work with, I've been working with him since 2013. Like, it's this close group that is kind of my team. But I always step onto the floor by myself. And now, just like getting to step onto the floor with the team was a very different experience. Mentally, it wasn't nearly as stressful. And the mental toll was way less this year. But it was different kind of stress. And I thought I would have more freedom going on a team, like be able to go to the summer house, maybe go to Spain or whatever and train. But no, that was not... I was more stuck and more on other people's plan than ever before. And I was like, I felt like I almost had these, obviously the grownups and professional athlete, but at the same time, I felt like I had these three new teenagers that I had to take care of because I was like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you guys eating enough? Are you taking your protein and your greens and your carbs in training? And because all of a sudden my success was dependent on their success as well. All of a sudden, I didn't feel like my training was number one priority, but our training was number one priority. Like we all had to make sure that we were hitting the things that we had to do. So it's like, it was, again, like a very big change. It's like when you get a a child, all of a sudden they are number one and they're always going to be number one. But there I was like, oh my God, I have these like individuals where I am also starting to think like, all right, I need to stay on top of this and we need to work on this and that together. And it was pretty cool. It was it was really fun to get to experience it. Wow, I just blabbered on for a while there, didn't I? And, no, I love it. And I think like there's so much value in hearing that because I talk about gaining athletic maturity, like the longer you're an athlete, whether it's at a very high level or just more like lifestyle athlete, someone like myself, we gain this athletic maturity and insight on how to actually go about your training to give you the best possible chance, not just at performance, but of having like sustainability and avoiding injury and like performing at a really high level. And you've been in the game for so long. I feel like it's almost natural that you went into that motherly role (laughs) with your team because you have that extra edge of like true athletic maturity. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. And like I said, I it's so true what you're saying. It's like every year you learn something different. And I think my parents are still learning and still growing. And it's being able to have that open mindset and wanting to learn and continue to evolve. And I feel like that's what I gain from every single year I compete in and I do what I'm doing, training. Like I am learning something more. There's more memories in the bank. There's more experiences in the bank. And honestly, I think that's what I had going for me going into not this year, but the year before after going through my postpartum was no, I had not had the perfect preparation at all, but 
I had all the years of experience that got me through it. Absolutely. Well, I would love to talk about that. So tell me, let's talk about like leading up to getting pregnant. What was your training like? What were you coming coming off of before taking that pregnancy test? What what was life like at that point in time? So I was coming off the games 2019. And I was pretty pissed about the 2019 games. Actually, there were like cuts that year. And I felt like it was very, it's the first time where I go out of the games and I'm like, I feel like this was unfair. Like, this is not right. Usually it's just like, you know, shit happens. But there I was like, this wasn't right. And I was very frustrated over the whole thing because I had kind of in the back of my mind that that might have been my last time competing at the CrossFit Games. Mm -hmm. I am going to say, though, that ever since 2016, 17, I've had it in the back of the mind that it could be my final year at the Games because I I knew that I wanted to start a family, but I've never felt ready. It's a scary thing as an athlete uh, to make a decision like that because you don't know how it's going to be it's so it's impossible for someone to tell you if you're going to be able to make it back or not it's it's honestly it's going to have to be up to you and are you going to want to or not right I think it's the biggest question um but yeah I had gone on a vacation with my family at Easter 2019 and we had gone to Florida and my brothers they both have children and our trip got prolonged a little bit due to weather so we ended up staying in this huge house but we ended up all staying together for like three or four days in that house and I got to spend even more time like more one-on-one with some of those kids and like uh my brother's youngest girl she like was in the bathroom with me wanted to come into the shower when I was in the shower and then I was doing her giving her some of the combing her hair and she wanted everything the same as me and then she ends up like putting her arms around me and saying that she loved me. And I was just like, all right, that's it. I cannot wait anymore. I need to get children on my own. And that evening I was like talking to Frederick. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not competing at the games this year because I'm getting pregnant right now. And he's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) let's just calm down. The games are in like three months. You put a lot of work into this. Let's just take like a week, take a breath and see where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) so after the games that year obviously feeling a little bit like disappointed I wasn't quite sure but it didn't take long and I was like okay now we have a window of opportunity let's see if it's meant to be it wasn't anything like crazy trying but just like let's see if things happen if not then I'm competing in Dubai end of December so the games finish in August and if I'm not pregnant by December, then I'm going to compete um, in Dubai. And then we're on a vacation with my parents in New York. And I was like, all right, I should be starting my period now. So let's see. And I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. And it was like the most incredible thing in the world seeing that. Like, it was so scary, so surreal, and so exciting at the same time. And also, I have such a close relationship with my parents that it was really, really cool that I was just like, all right, I guess I'm not keeping it a secret. I'm telling you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, their uh, plans kind of changed. And we went on this next big adventure together. And then COVID happened. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a hard time to be pregnant. 
Really? Yeah. It so was, it was actually kind of, kind of amazing time to be pregnant for me because my parents have this incredible summer house with a full, uh, set up gym and plenty of space. So we just stayed there and my parents came like almost every single day as well. So we had like, I, I think it's a pregnancy that I'm never going to forget, you know, cause it was a big family time. <laughs> it sounds like it is. Where do they live? Like, where is their home at? Their home is in the city in Iceland. So okay. we live pretty close to each other, but the summer house is like 40 minutes away. Okay. Uh, so we just stayed there during COVID. That's so amazing that you guys got to kind of lock down together, especially during such a special season in your life where you're not training yeah. as intensely as normal, but you know, you're pregnant and life, life and your body and your brain and everything has changed. Exactly. It was really weird though, because so many people actually never even saw me pregnant, obviously social media and everything, but right. like, I felt like I saw so few people, uh, that it was like, it was very, very strange time. <laughs> so tell me about what your training looked like when you were pregnant. Cause obviously this was during COVID and yeah. you, you know, we're kind of not a t- typical gym environment for you. You're not training for the games at this point. So what did your training look like during that season? Uh, that was actually what bothered me a lot was getting enough information and material on how to train while you're pregnant. And my doctor is an, um, a nurse like that sees women when they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, you're allowed to just train how you normally do. So just continue doing what you normally do. And I'm like, I know that's not right because like, Obviously, it doesn't make sense for me to train the same as I used to do because I'm used to when things get really, really hard and, and I feel like I cannot breathe. That's where I go like, all right, this is where the money's at. Like now right. everyone else is going to give up and I'm not going to give up because this is where I'm actually getting better. It's like while you're pregnant, you're not trying to get fitter or better or stronger, but you're trying to maintain more. And so I did. I did a lot of reading myself on research and material and my coach did as well. And it's also kind of frustrating that so much of it was like, you need to listen to your own body and feel what's right. And I'm like, stop it because I can tell my body to shut up and just go. Um, But it turned out it was, I am one of these annoying people that say that to other pregnant women. It's like, you're going to feel it because you are you are going to feel like I felt when something didn't feel good. And then I didn't do it. I got coning very early on, like earlier than I think most women, because I also had coning before I got pregnant. Uh, So I took out gymnastics movement way sooner than I wanted to. I had to start doing ring rows instead of band assisted pull-ups because just like I had severe coning and I stopped rowing because I had so much coning. I couldn't do burpees. I had to like, I had to scale a lot of things, but I was capable of squatting and doing Olympic weightlifting. I just didn't want to change my bar path too much. So I was aware of that as well, like different movement pattern. Um, I had a hard time jumping because I started feeling some like pressure underneath the belly, but everything else actually felt, I do think that I had, an incredible pregnancy. I felt really good throughout. Obviously some days I was tired and didn't want to train, but 
my body felt so much better if I did train. So it just meant that I just sat on a bike for 10, 15 minutes. And then I got the longing to want to start doing a little bit more. I did insane amount of zone two work Mm -hmm. for my own uh, mental health. I wore a heart rate monitor just to make sure that I wasn't going too lactic. So it was more working in those like middle ranges, heart rate. Um, just, I started thinking about just like, if I get really lactic, then obviously the oxygen may be going to that child might start being like a little bit and a little bit less volume. So I just monitored that and made sure that I could do, like I could speak while I was training, modified some of my squatting. When I started feeling like a little bit in my polyfloral, like a little bit of cool doing deep squat, I took the deep squat away and started doing box squat. And then it got good again. And I started doing deep squat again when it got good. So it was like, a lot of just adjusting, but I would say a lot of bodybuilding and a lot of zone two while I was training and it felt so good on my body. Like I felt so good moving my back, my shoulders, my hips, my knees, like everything just felt better when I was moving. So yeah, that was my, my experience during pregnancy and my training during pregnancy was significantly better than my training postpartum. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gosh, so many, so many things you said here. Like it's, it's so, it's frustrating that almost a decade later, like I had my baby nine years ago, who's not even the baby anymore. And like, it was the same thing of like, do what you've always done. Um, just sort of listen to your body, but you can't really tell an athlete that like, it's just, you're kind of programmed differently. Again, not even like just high level athletes, your average CrossFit mom is used to pushing and seeking out performance or aesthetic, you know, rewards from workouts and pregnancy is just a different season for that. So being able to make some of those adjustments, it's not always as intuitive as we would like, because again, diastasis and uh, pelvic organ prolapse and incontinence was not ever talked about nine years ago. And still it's talked about, but there's still a lot of like misinformation and confusion. And well, what do I actually do around this? And I definitely wish we would have, uh, we would have connected during your pregnancy. So I could have uh, helped you out a bit more, but I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to have a pretty intuitive experience and that you were able to truly learn to listen to your body. And I think it's really helpful for those listening to know that you're a very high level athlete with a ton of years, years of experience. You know, your body very well. You didn't necessarily know if you were going to go back to the games or not, but you're still a very high level athlete and you were willing to make adjustments and just honor where your body was at rather than trying to push and really like maintain all of your usual training. You were willing to adapt your training. I think that's really powerful and more female athletes need that permission to adapt because I see so many that are just trying to keep doing what they've always done because that's the message they've been given. Yeah. It's in my mind, it was about, I've heard that you can try to increase your VO2 max, which is why I did so much of the song too. And it just felt really good to get to sweat and the endorphins that you get from that. But yeah, I think it is so much about feeling good while you're training, maintaining strength because you're going to feel better while you're strong as well. Like the back and knees and everything, just like moving around, it's 
I had the worst days after rest days where I didn't do anything and maybe sat a lot because I was tired and my feet are tired. Like you get almost more tired from just walking around and standing than actually training. But it's so true that it's not like, it is a little bit of a scary message to say that you're supposed to be doing everything that you keep doing, because then you also feel like something is wrong if you don't do it, if that makes sense. But for me, it was more about, I want to make sure that I come out on the other side feeling as good as possible and that I listen to my body throughout that recovery as well because it's more important to me than being super fit and super athletic half a year after giving birth I would rather be healthy with a good strong body two three five years after giving birth like that's more important to me the longevity of being able to continue to train so that was my mindset throughout my pregnancy was just then. Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful mindset. That's honestly the cornerstone of everything the brand does is it's pursuing a lifetime of athleticism. And within yeah. that are these very important seasons for female athletes of pregnancy and your postpartum return to whatever it is you want to do, not just the games but to running a 5k or to going back to CrossFit yes. or powerlifting or being a triathlete or doing like group fitness, whatever it might be like these seasons are so important on behalf of that lifetime of athleticism. So let's talk about your birth experience. What was that like for you? Well, that was shit. Yeah, I, I relate. <laughs> um, I was really like, I don't know. Obviously, you don't know what to expect, right? You haven't done it before and no one can really explain to you what it's going to be like, what it's going to feel like, what you're going to have to do. But I'm like, I'm pretty strong. I I know that I can push through a lot of pain when I need to push through a lot of pain. And I know I have a strong pelvic floor and I didn't like I was kind of terrified of tearing too much. So I was even doing that like massage thing and I was doing pelvic floor exercises uh, both contractions and also just learning how to relax the pelvic floor. So I felt like I was doing a, what I could to right. be ready for it. Um, and then I started having those like Braxton Hicks and pretty strong contractions, like with about two months to go. Um, and then it started getting just more and more. And for the last two weeks, I was getting it like every 10 to 12 minutes every evening. Wow. I was just getting this contraction. So I'm like, all right, my <laughs> body is going to be so ready once this happens. Like it's getting very well warmed up for this. And then it was in the morning that like, I felt like those were getting real contractions. Like you could definitely feel the difference. Uh, quite painful. And I decided just to like, I called, let them know. And then I just stayed at home and I was at home all day. And they just kept on being with like seven, eight minutes between. Um, and then I decided to go to the hospital just around like right before midnight, just to make sure that everything was okay. They found out that my water had broken and they didn't know what time it was probably early in the morning. So they wanted to admit me uh, to make sure that I wouldn't get a fever or infections. Uh, and then I got some morphine and or like some sort of painkiller. And due to COVID, I was by myself in the hospital, got very little sleep, but I was like at least alone in a room. 
And then the day after, like my partner or Frederick wasn't allowed to come until I was in like a proper birthing suite and like in a push, ready to push phase, but nothing was happening. And like around 3 p.m. the day after, I still had some pretty darn painful contractions. Um, I was like, okay, I want to go into a birth suite and like get my partner to come. So he then finally got to come and I didn't dare to try any real painkillers or anything until he was there. And then I tried like the laughing gas as soon as he came, like, all right, I give up. (laughs) (laughs) Got like that, that gas. And that made such a big difference. Um, Then I got an epidural because I am allergic to uh, sleeping medication. Uh, So in case I would have to go for an emergency C-section, I had to have an epidural ready for like um, a numbing uh, to be put in. So I got that. And thankfully, because I was in like um, labor for three days and (laughs) crazy, like everything just happened so slow. And the reason why she wasn't like, she was in like a crooked stargaze position. So she never really popped all the way down, like properly. And then they were like, all right, we need to just like, you're almost there. Let's just start pushing. And then I was in the pushing phase for three hours and like after just over two hours, like nothing was really happening. They kept on trying to go in and turn and kept on trying to like help along, but it wasn't working. So they got me into like the um, medical room to be ready to like go into emergency C-section, but they wanted to try with suction and wanted to cut as well to try to like assist and help getting it out and they gave me like full numbing at that point and then I remember just pushing and there were like four people holding me down so I wouldn't fall off this like tiny table and there was just blood that went into like all the pipes that were connected to me because I was pushing so hard and then it was because they were also like all right they were obviously monitoring my baby as well and like her, she was getting lactic, like her heart rate was dropping every time, but I wouldn't have been allowed to continue going if she wouldn't have, she always bounced back so quickly, which is crazy, like so quickly. And then, yeah, on the final, it was like, all right, this is like the last, last chance. I got like six pushes in there and then they like cut and put the suction and then I tore in the other direction away from the cutting and finally got her out. And I lost like two liters of blood. And it took her like an hour and a half to stitch me up. And the biggest shock, like the longest, probably two minutes where after they took her away because she wasn't breathing, but it was very fast that they got her breathing. But it was just like, because she had gotten so lactic, they had to monitor her properly as well. So I only got to have her for like a little bit of time before they had to take her away. Yeah. And then it was like so long. <laughs> Every time I talk about this, which is not very often. <laughs> it never, like that. that never really goes away. Nine years later, and oh. I had a very similar birth that ended in an emergency c-section and when I talk about those feelings it just like I like look at you and I I freaking feel that (laughs) so hard right now I do because it wasn't like I had like I was very careful with not having 
unrealistic expectations or needing to have a birth plan. I was open to everything. I'm like, whatever is going to be the safest for me and for my child. And then it's like, just all the feelings that you have afterwards, like, did I make a mistake? Did I, was I too stubborn and wanted to push for too long when they should have just cut me up? Like, looking back, I think they should have cut me up a lot sooner. Like, that was stupid. But also in the end, I'm not the expert. I don't know how things are supposed to be. And thankfully, she was at least like, she bounced back significantly faster than I did. (laughs) She's like, she was like the strongest baby. She would have been allowed to be, what is it like, not admit it, but like when you're, when you leave the hospital, she was allowed to leave like the day after, but I had to, like, I wasn't allowed to leave for two more days. Like they just monitored her and she, yeah, she was quite elastic right after, but she bounced back in like less than half an hour she just like bounced so quick back and everything was perfect with her and she was so big and heavy and strong and less honest started drinking like honestly just like she made my life so much easier because she was good like everything was okay with her so like Yes, I struggled a lot afterwards and also because I was so messed up and I lost so much blood and I was stubborn and didn't want to get blood. I would rather get iron because I just, there was something weird about getting blood if I maybe didn't need it. I actually got like, also, I've never been depressed or anything ever. I've never really understood depression because I'm like, just go out and exercise, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not the exact same. Yeah. But yeah, it was like um, the only times I was happy was when Freya was in my arms. The only times I felt calm was when I had her with me and I could just watch her breathe. Like that's when I felt happiness. And I didn't sleep for five days. I didn't sleep. And then I was just like, watching I remember just sitting there and watching TV and Freya was asleep and I didn't want to like wake her up she's just asleep there next to me and Frederick was like do you want anything because I I didn't really have any appetite either and he's like do you want anything do you want chocolate and I'm like no I don't even want chocolate and I was watching Big Bang and I was just like why are they even acting like why are people acting in these episodes we're all gonna die I was just like all right Annie you're deep. You need to talk. So I just like talked to Frederick and completely broke down and just talked about everything that I was feeling. And he, I pumped. And so I knew that Freya had milk. I went into the bedroom and I slept for three hours. And when I woke up, I just saw colors again. I was like, those three hours of sleep just gave me life. And obviously not all of these feelings went away. I felt like I just needed I needed like a purpose. I wasn't able to train. I wasn't able to go for a walk. Like at least you're supposed to go for a walk, right? With your child. I wasn't able to go for a walk. I wasn't able to carry my child. I wasn't able to take a shower by myself. Right. I needed assistance with everything. So just losing all my independence, like looking in the mirror and seeing my body, I didn't recognize myself. I had such a big belly 
And I was fine with a big belly when I was pregnant because it was there for a reason. But now it was just like nothing there. I didn't recognize my breast. I didn't like recognize my butt, my thighs. I was just like, it wasn't, it was so weird to me, which is why the only times I felt like something was when I had Freya with me and I knew something like I had to find myself again. Like I had to find a purpose with something. I'm like, let me do my taxes. Like, let me feel like I need to do something like calculate, use my brain for something else than overthinking. Is she breathing? Is she eating? Is she pooping? Is she burping? Because I was so obsessed about her well-being. Um, but yeah, then by just sleeping and talking and we went out for a drive <laughs> after I think it was like a week or 10 days. And it was the hardest steps walking out of that apartment. I trust my mother more than anything. And she was there with Freya and we were going to go out for 15 minutes, but it was, I never expected to be one of those moms that couldn't leave her child, but it was the hardest steps walking to that elevator I've had. It was so much rougher than I expected it to be. You know, I, I do blame my how I felt after giving birth. Uh, I blame that largely on that and how my birthing experience was, how my doctor talked to me after giving birth because the day after she came to me and she was like, that was a very rough birth you went through. Like it was in the hospital and she's like, that was a really rough birth and your pelvic floor took a lot of damage. I had no idea that you were so strong that your pelvic, she knew who I was. This is like, I had no idea that you were so strong. I would have given you that like full on numbing a lot sooner and how you push for that a lot sooner. If I would have realized that you could push during that time, because some women have a hard time knowing when to push when they don't feel, feel it the same way. And because you went through, so through so much trauma, I'm just going to be honest with you. You're most likely never going to become the athlete that you were before. And I was just like, you know what? I don't need to hear this right now. Honestly, it's not on top of my list to be the athlete that I used to be right now. It's about the health of my child and me being, being a functioning human being again. It's, I'm not even thinking about that, but having that linger with me and starting to then start to think about it when I was feeling so bad, it was like. I think that was one of the more stupid things a doctor could say to someone in that situation. When you're coming off of a traumatic birth, you cannot have any extra layer of like mind fucking like that, especially from a medical professional or a coach or whatever. Like we have enough harsh voices in our head. We don't need that added. I am so sorry that that was said to you and that seed was planted when you should have had nothing but love and support and holding space for Annie and who you were in that moment, not who you were and not who you would become, but for who you were. And I, I'm really sorry you didn't get that. Thank you. Yeah. Afterwards then I did talk to her about it afterwards. I got to see a doctor when you have a traumatic birth, you get to see the doctor like six weeks later and I did at least get to express those feelings to her. And she's not working as a birth doctor anymore, actually. Um, not because of me, but apparently <laughs> she struggles with making decisions under a lot of stress. And 
then maybe that's that's not the best thing to be in, best line to be in. Kidding. Oh my gosh. Well, your birth experience is, it. I feel like when you have a traumatic birth, that you are just so much more predisposed to postpartum depression and anxiety. And there should not be shame or stigma around that. Um, but unfortunately, there just, there still is. And so knowing that we're predisposed because of a traumatic birth, like mm-hmm. it's like, I really wish that more resources were made available for women to say like, okay, and like we have a therapist and here's some things you should watch for. Here's some things you can do. But instead we are in this cycle of like survival mode of like our own healing, our own processing of birth and I should have done this or I should have done that or what yeah. if. And like that narrative is so destructive when you're just trying to figure out how to be a mom and this exactly. figure out this little human you have and then breastfeeding and then you're not sleeping and then your hormones are crazy. It's like, we're kind of set up for failure before we even get a chance to figure things out. Yes. And it's also because of social media and because of what you see around you, you don't, you don't get to hear a lot of this stuff. So it's always like bounce back so quickly can start doing that most incredible thing ever. And I still say that this is the happiest I have ever been in my life. And at the same time, the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. Yeah. So it's like, both of these things can go hand in hand. And I'll still say like, I wouldn't change a thing. And even if I would have never had made it back, I wouldn't change anything because I got my baby girl. Like it is impossible to describe to someone that has not gone through this and had a child. It is impossible Mm. to explain the feelings, the emotions that you get when you become a mom. But it's also so difficult when you're a new mom and you start blaming yourself for the feelings that you're having or start thinking that you're less of a person or less of a mom or not as strong as everyone else. If you have, we're allowed to have these feelings. We're allowed to feel however we want to feel. And I kind of realized how big of a stigma this was when I was with my girlfriends and I started talking about some of these things. And one of my friends was like, yeah, like I went to through this and like, I didn't really talk about it until like a year later, I finally managed to like go through it. I had just been going like, I love my child, but I I didn't have the same like feelings as I think I'm supposed to have, uh, with every, like, towards everything that was going on. And she didn't, that means that you're lingering in these feelings and these emotions and they become worse and worse. And you start judging yourself more and more until you finally decide to start working on it. And I was just like, there's, I was never ashamed to talk about what is going on with me, but it wasn't something I was planning on sharing on my social media because I didn't think it was something that people were interested in. Uh, and it wasn't something that I really wanted to maybe open up to the world about. But when I realized this more and more around me, I was like, all right, I am going to share my story because I do think that the reason I work my way through my postpartum depression, I would say in less than a week, because I didn't let it linger. I talked about it and I felt so much better just after that first initial talk. I felt so much better. 
And every time I talked about it, I felt better and better and better. And I'm also very aware that my thoughts are not me. It's what we do with our thoughts. And that's something that I've learned throughout my career or my life. It's like, we're all going to have weird, crazy thoughts sometimes, but they don't matter. (laughs) They're okay. It's okay that we feel sad. It's okay that we feel scared as long as we don't let it overcome us and control us. And I think that is what got me through that process as well. It's just knowing that it's nothing to be ashamed of that I have these feelings It's nothing to be ashamed of that I'm paranoid about my kid breathing. Like, I bet there's a ton of other women that also have that. When I shared my birthing story, I felt so much better because it felt like I was getting it off my chest. And at the same time, there were so many women that raced out that had gone through something similar that had managed to get through it. And they were okay now. And me knowing that made me feel like I was going to be okay. And that made me be willing to share more because if other women see me go through it and I'm okay, they're going to know that if they feel this or if they have a traumatic birth and lose blood or have the postpartum that I had, it was really long, man, like really long. And I'm still going through it. I'm still recovering and it's okay. Some of us just take longer than others and it's okay. It doesn't mean that we're not going to recover. Like, and that's the thing too, is like the majority of us like birth and recovering from the, that mental, physical and emotional transition. Like you are shedding an identity and evolving into a new one. Hey everyone. If you have listened to this podcast and ever thought about wanting to learn more, becoming who you needed or helping your clients train well during pregnancy and postpartum so they can pursue a lifetime of athleticism, I want to invite you to join the team of international coaches by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Enrollment is currently closed, but you can get on the wait list by using this link. It's www.briannabattles.com slash waitlist. By joining the waitlist, you get early access to enrollment, a $300 coupon, and access to the first 24-hour bonuses. So be sure to use this link to get your name on the list and be the first to get updates. Birth and recovering from the, that mental, physical, and emotional transition, like you are shedding an identity and evolving into a new one. You're not, you're yes. still, you're still who you were, but it's different. And like that yes. transitional season is freaking hard and it is stressing. And then when you add on a traumatic birth and then the struggles of just like acclimating to your new baby and it has nothing to do with like, Oh, you don't love your baby. Of course you love your baby. And it's just a lot of hard work and your body is not the same. Your brain is not the same. Your boobs are not the same. Your relationships, not the same. Your training is not the same. Your outlets aren't the same. (laughs) You've lost so much and yet you've gained a lot. And what you've lost just looks different now. You know, it's not totally gone. It's just, it just looks different. And that transition isn't just the fourth trimester or the first six months postpartum. That just continually changes and evolves the moment you become a mother, period, for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. Because you're going to be a mom for the rest of your life. 
like that is a part of your new identity. Right. But I think it's also really important that you're not losing yourself completely. Yes. Because I think that's also a very scary thought is that you're nothing of what you used to be. You still are. You're just a little bit of a different version. And you evolve and change to what is needed. That's what we're so good and so capable at doing. Right. Athletes are like made to be adaptable. And I think like when we are in the trenches of the darkness (laughs) and of of that season of transition is like, remember, like you you know how to adapt, you know how to navigate this, you know how to progress. And we know that progression takes a lot of time, but unfortunately we always try to like force it to happen faster for ourselves. It's like emotional or whatnot, or like this transition, but just like training, getting stronger, getting faster, whatever, all of that takes a lot of time, not just the six cycle, but truly like six months six years, like, right. Like you really build up so much over time. And that's, I mean, it's just a big adjustment to make. Yes. It's a, such a huge adjustment to make, but what caught me so much was knowing that other people also struggle Yeah, and it's the good moments that you're doing it for. And the good moments are so many after you have a kid, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I've laughed and smiled as much as I've done like for years. Yeah. And I'm a pretty darn happy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Really> are. <laughs> no, and honestly, like sharing your story and what you've been through is such a healing process. And I'm so glad you've, yes. you have the ability to share that and that it's been met with a lot of support because I know that that truly helps our own healing processes when we can take what we've been through and do something good with it. Even if that good exactly. is simply sharing it. It's, recent. Yes. It's like so validating. And that, I mean, that's literally what started my business was I didn't want any athletes or coaches to not have the right information about how to approach training and returning to, you know, performance postpartum because of what I went through. And it's been so, yeah. um, so healing over and over and over. And it's really amazing when you can pay that forward. So I'm so glad you've been able to do that. Yeah, it's been very rewarding and healing for me at the same time. And it's funny because I was worried about sharing too much because I remember when I was sharing my training, when I was training, uh, when I was pregnant, um, it was a women supported it a lot, but and most men, but the only judgmental comments I got was from men. And the ones that got to me the most was where they were saying that I was harming my baby. And I'm like, I would never do anything to harm my unborn baby. Like never. I am thinking more about my diet and my fueling. I'm a professional athlete and I'm thinking more about that while I'm pregnant and breastfeeding than I've ever done in my life because I know this is what's going into my baby. Like, so those comments were actually like quite rough because they hit hard when they say that you're harming something that you care so much about. Totally. Um, But then it was actually quite interesting when I got back to training postpartum, then I felt like it wasn't a lot of negativity, but the only negativity I got was from women. Yep. Or 
doing too much, pushing too hard, starting too early. And dude, I was destroyed. I started very, very late to start doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> like that was most people say, I know it's like that six week rule or something. And I was like thinking about those six weeks. I'm like, no, a week tops. I'll give it a week. Yeah. And it was way more than six weeks for me, significantly more than six weeks. Yeah. Not for the first initial things, which gave me something, being able to start doing pelvic floor, being able to start doing core, the easiest things ever, but mainly because I wanted to be able to get out of bed without feeling so weak. Yes. You know? And I want so, you to so- hear that, like a professional athlete saying like, yeah, I'll totally be back to it. And you had to rebuild the very like foundation of just your activities of daily living, not even like performance, not general fitness, but truly like rebuild for the activities of daily living. And if a professional athlete can experience this, this is honestly a top down message for all moms listening to this podcast right now is like, you have to rebuild those activities of daily living. Nobody is exempt from that. No, absolutely not. And even I remember what bothered me the most was how long it took me to start being able to walk downhill with a stroller. Yeah. That was like three months postpartum. I still felt pressure in my pelvic floor walking downhill with a stroller. Yeah. I was like, man, I really messed myself up. (laughs) Just for those listening, trying to like, well, why would that be a pain? Like that's a really hard position on the pelvic floor to absorb force and the position it, it kind of gets into is this tucked under position as you're walking downhill. And that can just be a really like triggering of symptoms, pressure, even incontinence. I don't know if that's what you experienced, but that's why that particular movement, which is seemingly very easy and very normal can actually be a very challenging yes. stimulus for a postpartum body. Yeah, exactly. And that would have been nice to know, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. But it was, I I learned to be really, really patient. And I really wanted it for the long run. That's why I never thought I would be competing a year later. Right. That wasn't, I just needed goals. And I took, I took it real slow. I did something every day. Because I was capable of doing something every day, but I took the the initial baby, baby, baby steps. Uh, probably some women managed to skip or get through a little bit faster. I I really took those uh, for a long time, and I did get some help from uh, Ladybird on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She assisted me a little bit with some of that, getting the core and pelvic floor like working together but it was mainly while I was pregnant and then here in Iceland I actually went for measurements on my pelvic floor so like um she inserted this and then I would like uh contract on it mm-hmm. and there it was that's what made it more fun for me to work my way back with seeing strength gains yeah. in the pelvic floor which went from being so little, like horribly little, I needed, we put like electro stim to actually get some of my muscles to start activating again, because they just wouldn't contract. Yeah. Um, 
into getting just stronger and stronger, but I'm still not at what I used to be. And I know that maybe I'll never get there, but obviously the goal is to have a healthy pelvic floor when I'm old. So I want to continue working on this. This is going to be one of the, it's made it a lot easier for me now. Sorry, I jump a little bit front and back, but like what made this easier for me, the recovery was so difficult because it was so foreign. Yes. But when I started to try to look at this as a muscle, because the pelvic floor is a muscle, the abdominals, these are muscles, and they just went through an injury. Yes. I had a pelvic floor injury in my muscle. It was a sprain. It was a tear. And when I started thinking about it as an injury, I know how to work with that. Yes. I know how to work with injury. It's so powerful to like, some people get really pissed off when I say that, but I'm like, I think it actually helps give us perspective on why we need to approach our training like this and say like a baby coming out of your body is a really big deal. No matter how it comes out, whether it's traumatic or uncomplicated, whatever that means, like it's still a really big deal. And it is an acute injury. It's a surgery to recover from. It is a physiological event. That is a big freaking deal. And if we approach it like it's an injury, then we're going to actually make a sustainable recovery instead of being like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's good enough. I think it's actually really- Then you keep on re-injuring, re-injuring. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So being able to do that, because I've gone through a severe back injury, pretty bad shoulder, pretty bad knee. And I know how to like, all right, I can feel a little bit now. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to see how I feel tomorrow. And then I know that maybe I was going a little bit ahead of myself. If I feel it tomorrow, if I feel nothing tomorrow, then I was just making the strength gains that you need to sometimes push through to get stronger. So it's like, it was, it made the approach significantly easier for me to look at it that way. I'm so glad that you said that. And I think it really gives other people permission to sort of reframe what that postpartum healing rehab and progression process actually looks like. And this is what's crazy as you were going to physiotherapy, you were doing the work, you were doing the rehab, and we still have people commenting on social media, giving you shit for what, how you were approaching your training. I mean, this should go without saying, but we cannot make assumptions about what somebody's body has experienced and what their training actually looks like. And it's, it's so annoying that, that that is an experience that so many of us have as other people commenting on our bodies or our choices. Yes. Yeah. I know that you also had maybe have a diastasis and you had what I, when I got looped into that conversation, people were like giving you a really hard time about what your abs looked like or what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I got so mad because I'm like, these people have no idea what quote normal postpartum abs look and function like who are they to have any commentary on your body and what it was doing when you started to like really pick up your progress and we're lifting heavier and moving a lot more athletically you'd done so much work so much foundational work with your training and yet people still felt the need to make really unnecessary comments on the appearance or function that they were observing with your abs yeah, so I obviously realize that 
by pe- being a public figure or professional athlete with the content I'm putting out, I am allowing people to judge me as well. Um, however, obviously, some of the judgment can really hit hit deep um, when they become very personal. And I did really feel like I was following my medical advisement and I was doing and I'm still doing my core exercises, my pelvic floor exercises to continue to strengthen it because I still have diastasis. But looking at videos before I got pregnant, I also had it before I got pregnant. And maybe that's something that I also should have worked on before I got pregnant. Maybe it's genetics. I don't know. Um, I have heard that genetic, it is, has something to do with genetics as well. Just how quickly tissues recover in a way where they like them. I don't know the American word for it, but like the going back together, like how quickly that can happen. And for some people, it just happens really slowly or might not even go fully together. And I actually got a hernia at my belly button. Which is why the belly button also sticks out. Um, Which is everyone listening. This is all a very common (laughs) and normal experience. Everybody's tissue density, that genetic makeup is different. Some people's tissue spreads a lot more. Some is, has a lot more density to it. Some people's abs separate a lot more. This is dependent on like how you carry your baby, the size of your baby, what your abs, how they functioned prior to pregnancy. You were a gymnast. You were a lifelong like CrossFitter. Like everything about that is very rib cage thrusted, high pressure strategies. Yes, you were predisposed maybe, but also like this isn't something that was like wrong with you. This was just an adaptation your body had to make. And I just I need to say that here so that people really can understand not just your abs, but their Mm -hmm. own. And hopefully this helps squash a lot of that commentary. (laughs) Hopefully it's still like, it's nice to hear you say it because it's still sometimes, especially when I still get in uh, and when people are like, oh, I work with this and this is so unhealthy and it's not safe. And I'm like, Okay, I did hear if the coning is soft, so it's soft, so it's mostly just skin now. Right. Um, it's not hard coning sticking out most of the time. There's it's just soft. Right. Um, then it is supposed to be perfectly safe. Yes. And it's not allowed to do anything. Yeah, that's it good is. to hear because if I'm not allowed to do anything where that happens, then I can quit. Like then my career is done because it is going to happen in certain movements. I am doing my best, especially when I'm doing my accessory work there. I'm like thinking about getting that strong contraction on the exhale so that I am continuing to try to help my abdominals go together, but my belly button, that's never going to recover. That's going to be like this. And honestly, it's something that actually really used to bother me because I used to have something with belly buttons. I just really didn't like it sticking out. And I don't like it on like shirts when I see my belly button sticking out uh, under the shirts. Like maybe it's one of these things that no one else notices except for me. Like so many things that we have that are going on. Yeah. But 
because of people commenting on it and it kind of hurting me that people commented on it. I was like, screw that. Yeah. Now I am going to wear sports bras and I'm going to do it proud. And I don't care if I have extra skin on my stomach. I don't care if my belly button sticks out. I don't care if there's coning and people have a need to comment on it because too many of my girlfriends, 30 year old are not going to the swimming pool in their bikini because they still have their mom body that they're worried about other people commenting on. I'm like, who gives a shit? Yes. It's no one else's to comment on. And by us not being willing to show it, by me hiding it and making it into something that is to be hidden away. Well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of. It's a battle scar. It's like a scar that you get during a competition or like I have scars on my back from a weight rest. I have scars on my shin from a barbell. I'm not ashamed of those. Right. Why should I be ashamed of this one? It's no different. Right. It's a scar from carrying my baby. Yeah, and it's something that so many of us share and there shouldn't be shame or stigma about. And I mean, again, this is such a variation of normal. Your abs yes. as a postpartum athlete, they do for you everything you need them to do. Your diastasis, even if it, even if there's coning, that doesn't mean that it's a problem. And I want to say that to you like one-on-one. And I want to say that to everybody listening is just because there is a diastasis, you have done the work and we can get to a point where our abs have maybe some separation, maybe some tissue that's not as dense as we wish it was, or maybe it was prior, but they still serve us. Our abs are still functional. They are not broken. We can do a lot, even if they look maybe aesthetically a little bit different, or even if structurally they're a little bit different, that does not mean that it's necessarily this problem, especially when you are performing and doing the things that your body and your sport and your interests allow you to do. And that is what should shut everybody's commentary up. (laughs) Thank you. Send it to me. I'll start tagging you and be like, take this up with her. Yeah. I'll, I'll fight him. Yana will take care of that. I, I mean, I like really would. I would fight for you, Annie. Um, so let's talk about this moment at the CrossFit Games in 20, like what year are we in? Like 2021 CrossFit Games. I really like, I can't keep my ears yes. at this point. But you, how far postpartum were you for those games? Because you did your rehab. You built up your fitness from like the ground up. You survived everybody's shitty comments about your body and about your training. And you started to feel like, okay, maybe there's this chance that I can make it to the games. Yes. So in the games, we have like the open in February, March. That's like the first qualifier online. And I was like, all right, I want to be able to participate in that. So it's more like, having these goals, just something to strive for. It wasn't my plan to compete at the CrossFit Games that year um, because it was just under a year. The Games were just under a year after I gave birth. 
And I realized it would be very unrealistic of me to believe that I would be ready for that. But I needed some goals and to dare to push a little bit. So I participated in the open and I remember doing the open and there were double unders in the last workout. And I'm like, I cannot put together more than five to 10 double unders at a time. So I just did sets of 10, rested a little, 10, rested a little. And then I went really hard on whatever movement that was with it, the wall walks that year. And I was also like, yes, I've always looked at the leaderboard and I don't like seeing myself low, but I'm doing this for me this time. I'm just doing it for myself to participate. And I went through that uh, part that way. Then it was quarterfinals or quarters. And that's like the next uh, step of qualification. And there I had to push my limits a little bit more. We had like bar muscle ups and I hadn't done any bar muscle ups before that. I had just been, I worked, like I said, I did so much like I had worked a lot on my engine. As soon as I was able to start working on that, I could kill myself on a bike without any pain. And it gave me endorphins. It gave me that way to push and feel like myself again. It's like, I know maybe a lot of people don't understand it, but when it got really, really painful and I succeeded, I felt proud. Yeah. And I did a lot of very uncomfortable biking at that time on an air bike. Like I suffered a tremendous amount to get my engine up. Yeah. And then I did a lot of the core and the pelvic floor and bodybuilding and strict pull-ups and resistant bands. And it was just like, I did a lot of very basic strength. So I felt quite strong in the movements I was doing. Uh, however, I wasn't ready to lift heavy. I could feel that on my pelvic floor and I wasn't capable of running. And there were still a lot of things that I stayed away from, like stepped on from a box and all of that. And I was still just working my way through those things, but I made it to quarters. And that meant that I had even longer time to get ready for semifinals. And I was like, all right, I'll compete at semifinals if I feel ready for it. And we're talking about in like February, March, I was lifting very light weights still in Olympic weightlifting because that had the jumping in it. So it was hard for me to jump and move my feet because I could just feel, it was like the difference of uh, feeling safe and feeling like I was doing something that uh, wasn't good for me when I felt it like pressure yeah. in the pelvic floor, like uncomfortable pressure. I'm like, no, that's where I stop. Um, so I was like, obviously didn't see this very realistic, but I did a shit ton of box squats and was able to start doing deeper and deeper squats and was making a lot of basic strength gains. Then I competed at semis and qualified for the games I got third place in um my part of the European region and it's kind of funny like doing an interview after that he was like so how does it feel to qualify for the games and I'm like yes it's more than I expected to do um and it feels amazing that I'm competing uh I'm competing again and I got third but like I have no interest in participating in the games. I have competed at the CrossFit Games already for so many years that I'm not doing it for the experience. I compete at the games if I stand a chance of doing well at the games and not just doing well, but being able to do everything without being afraid and push and being allowed to go as hard as I want to go, not having something in the back of my mind 
like at semifinals, I had GSD sit-ups and I like taped my abdominals completely to try to like assist them going through that range. And there were like still so many movements that I was like still afraid of doing. Uh, so it was like a weird way to com- like to compete in the season, not knowing if I actually wanted to compete at the games. And I remember like going to the CrossFit games, like on the flight out, that's two weeks out of the mm, last 10 days out of the games because I left Freya and I couldn't leave her for that long because of COVID. We couldn't bring her. So we left like as close to the games as we could that year. It's like just over a week out. And I told Frederick, I'm like, even though I'm going, uh, we're leaving here, it doesn't mean that I'm competing at the games. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm still making up my mind because before every step of the qualification, things had just clicked. Like everything that had to click, clicked. Every time I had to do something, I was capable of doing it. It was like, I knew some of these things were a mental block. And now I was running was one of the things that came in the last double unders is still an issue for me, but running like took me quite a while to get to, but I think it was also like a little bit of a mental block. Mm-hmm. Um, me thinking so much about tightening my pelvic floor where I obviously wasn't supposed to be in full contraction always when I'm running. Right. But yeah, then it was so many thoughts that went into it because I had worked so hard, so hard to get where I was. I hadn't sacrificed anything with Freya. I only trained while she was asleep. And then always when she woke up, I was like, all right, I need to finish my training and go be with her. I breastfed for the first six months. Honestly, my recovery started being a lot faster after I stopped breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a huge uh, change for me. It was obviously difficult always training while she was sleeping. And then I felt guilty if I wasn't with her at other times. So I. I didn't want to sacrifice anything. So I was with her. And after training, I thought about giving her food before I thought about giving myself food. And that's like such a different way of preparing for the games. And I'm like, it's not the way you prepare for the world championships, right? That's not what I should be doing. We were moving from our apartment to another apartment because we're building a house at the same time. And I've been training so much by myself because I've been scaling so many things. So I didn't know where I was standing compared to other athletes. So it was like so many doubts in my mind. And I didn't feel like it was fair towards myself to compete at the CrossFit Games and be miserable. Like it wasn't fair towards myself to step onto the floor, having so many doubts in my mind, maybe not being able to do all the things that would show up because I shouldn't do that to myself. And at the same time, I felt like it wasn't fair to myself not to give myself a chance, not a shot after all of this hard work, after all of these steps that we had gone through, being able to do everything that I had done, getting the recovery that I had, which was stupid that everything was just coming together. And I felt like it was also then I owe it to myself to try. I owe it to myself to give myself a shot at it. So the week before the games, those like the last days of preparation, I was feeling stronger and stronger, more and more ready mentally. And I kind of just like broke it into these mini games where I had the goal to try to be in the final heat at the CrossFit Games. That was my goal. And I went way above that. That was like, it was one of the most memorable CrossFit Games of my life. 
and an experience that I am never going to forget either because of both all the hard work that went into it, how difficult it was to be there without Freya with me, how much I missed her. I woke up every morning, two videos of her, did a phone call, talked with her, had a five, 10 minute cry, took a shower. And then I was like, all right, now I'm the athlete, Annie. Now I'm going to try to push all of this away. I'm going to compete. And then I get all the videos of her and everything I get to see in the evening before I go to sleep again. It was like the weirdest CrossFit games, but so rewarding as well because of all the work that I put into it. And then my grandma passed away at the same time during the games. And it was just like, man, the amount of times that I cried is stupid. But I felt like she was then with me through the rest of it as well. And my grandpa was with my daughter. And that was such a healing process for him as well. It was like, um, that was an emotional roller coaster. But I am so grateful that I gave myself a chance. I am so grateful that everything went the way that it went and my body held up. I enjoyed myself. I was so thankful. I was so thankful to be competing. It was such a different experience to be thinking like that at the same time. And being there with Frederick, knowing that Freya was in good hands and then the excitement I had going back home and realizing that I podium at the CrossFit Games after the year I had had was, if someone would have said that to me before the Games, I would have gotten mad, you know? I would have gotten mad at them to even try to put that in my head that that was a possibility because it was extremely unrealistic. Right. Because like nine months prior, you were trying to walk downhill. You were trying to yes. get off of the couch. Like, I think that's, people don't always understand just how short that timeline is for the athletes that are making that return to high level performance and competition is you go from nothing to competing at the yeah. highest level in a very short amount of time. It's incredible. And it also tells you how incredible our bodies are, right? Like, I don't think I've ever been as grateful for my body as I was after having Freya and then being able to do what I'm doing now. And that's why I feel like I should not be judging my body on what it looks like. Yeah. It is what we are capable of doing. We are incredible human beings. Right. Right. Like, it's insane what we can do. And I have so much respect for moms, like so much respect. It's like, I think you have like, group I've ever been a part of. <laughs> well, you had like every mom, like cheering for you that year. I'm pretty sure, especially with that clean and jerk where you like, you're just, your face was so, so pure. And when this episode airs, I'll have to like pull that clip, but it was just like, you surprised yourself. With the number. Oh my God, I surprised myself. That was like, <laughs> like I said, it was like things just started clicking at the right time and the right moments, always when they were supposed to be. And I think that's also what got me through the games was knowing I have years of experience. My body 
our bodies have muscle memories. They know what to do. They've been in this situation before. They know how to perform when they're supposed to perform. Sometimes we need to also just trust it and trust the process and trust that we are going to be able to do what we have to do in that moment. Right. And yeah, that that snatch event is probably one of the highlights of my career. Like that was ridiculous. Yes. Oh, it was so amazing. It was so amazing to, to see and then to see it, um, it truly celebrated. And I don't know if people really know what preceded that moment, like what you've shared here today, but it was a really special yeah. moment. And I'm, I'm really glad that that will go in the books as like one of your most special athletic accomplishments. Absolutely. It was honestly where I felt like I started trusting myself again as yeah. well. Yes. We need those little wins and those wins kind of add up over time. And obviously that has gotten you to repeating another year at the CrossFit Games on the team. Yeah. And and how are you feeling currently in your body, with your training, and with everything that's ahead? Good. Honestly, like I'm in a good, really good place. Um, now ready to do an individual competition again. I still don't know what I'm going to do at the CrossFit Games, but Ever since 2016, I haven't known what I'm going to do at the CrossFit yeah. Games, you know? Yeah. I make that decision based on how I feel like physically and mentally um, closer to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, like, I want to give myself just a little bit of time of not thinking about anything and just enjoying. I'm going to continue training forever because I enjoy it. I want to be strong. I want to be fed. I want to be healthy. Uh, I obviously will not continue doing it to the same level and extent that I'm doing it at now. Um, but while I enjoy it this much, while I want to, I'm going to allow myself to, while it doesn't come down on my family, I actually think it gives me more time with my family or something. Cause I'm always done with my training around three o'clock. And then I have the rest of the day with Freya weekends. I have a lot of downtime with her and mornings are nice and easy. She goes quite late to daycare and yeah, it's like, it's, she said, it. I think it's really funny also with having a kid. I know I'm going into something like a little bit different, but it's kind of funny with having a kid. I've also noticed people talk about like, I said, I feel like things have been quite easy with Freya. She's made my life very easy. She's incredible. Just like eats well, sleeps well. I have like a dream kid. Um, and then people are always like, oh, wait until she starts teething. Oh, wait until this. Oh, wait until she starts walking. Then it's going to be like so hard. Oh, wait until that. What is it like awful twos or horrible twos or whatever people call it? Terrible twos. <laughs> yeah. Terrible twos. I'm like, what is this? But I keep on talking about something like wait for something that's difficult because they're all different experiences. And now I'm starting to see this little character that just like, She's a nonstop talker, like nonstop talker. And she is so funny and so fun. And I feel like it's actually like more like easier and easier when you start being able to communicate and like explain things and listen. And you can like, like, yes, when you're, when they're capable of expressing themselves, you like, 
stopped using a diaper before she was two years old. She just did it herself. Like, it's just like these being able to communicate and starting to see the character come out. I'm like, I feel like all of these experiences have been incredible experiences, right? So I'm excited about these awful twos. I have a feeling they're going to be the most fun, right? It's like, things are just getting better and better. It really (laughs) is. And it's like the most rewarding experience of your life to be able to sit and witness your baby become who they're going to become. Like it's, it's really freaking cool. Like we, we can look at our own process and whatnot and, and live our, in our own process, but to really be able to like bear witness to seeing your baby turn into a toddler, turn into a little kid, turn into a kid. Like it is an experience that nothing can measure up to. No, it's so crazy. It's so fun. Yeah. Just wait like, till she starts playing sports and then you're like, this is oh. way better. This is way better than my own experience with sports. It's like the best. I, I freaking I love it. I just signed her up for sports. So she's starting oh. now. Oh, you're going to love <laughs> it's it. It's just like tumbling. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just really like that's been as like an athlete and a coach. I'm like, nope. Being a mom who's raising little athletes, like that is so fun. Yes. That's the most rewarding um, like variation of this work that I've done. That's really oh, that's so cool. You got some yeah, good things so ahead cool. of you, my friends. You really do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh my goodness. We have covered so much. This has been a really fun podcast. And like you have the world of athlete moms and coaches behind you. You have been through so much. You have accomplished so much. Um, your transparency has been incredible to, to really hear and get that behind the scenes perspective on what you've been through mentally, physically, emotionally, and you're not done. You're not done. You're not done. And that's that's an exciting thing. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, If you guys don't follow Annie, Annie, where can people find you and learn more about what you're up to? Annie Thorstad on Instagram. There we go. Amazing. Yeah. Annie, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate your, your words and your experiences. You're incredible. Well, thank you so much. And also like, I wish I would have found your Instagram before. I only found it like, I think it was like three months after giving birth that I actually found you. You like popped on one of those like suggested feeds. Here and I yeah, <laughs> I am very grateful that you're out there. Like we really do need more more on these things for women. Absolutely. Well, we're absolutely working on that. And uh, I know your voice is going to help give this information and these resources and guidance, um, the exposure that it needs and your story is, is really practical. So thank you so much, Annie. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. 
We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.